Is anything ever really a coincidence? Or is there something behind everything? That's a very interesting question. And there is a very interesting book in the Hebrew Scriptures showing that our circumstances are leading to a bigger plan, even if we don't immediately see it. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is an author, speaker, and scholar who discusses everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, spiritual and cultural topics of interest to all of us. So we think you'll get a lot out of this program. And our website, evidenceandanswers.org, has past radio shows you may have missed, interviews with leading scholars and experts, Pat's books and articles, and multiple resources to explore. That's at evidenceandanswers.org. Today, Pat discusses the book of Esther, If you or someone you know is going through a painful time, this is for you. So let's go to Dr. Pat Zuckerman speaking before an audience with part two of Esther. So Haman comes up with a plot here, and he comes up with a false accusation here. He says, there's a group of people called the Jews. They live by a different set of laws, and they're going to cause trouble in your land. So allow me to wipe these people out. And in fact, he says, I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver for this to happen. And so the king orders a decree. The decree is irreversible, that the Jews be wiped out. This decree is given in March of 474 B.C. Now at this time, God seems distant, maybe uncaring, even powerless. But he is at work, even through what appears to be a tragedy, bringing about his purpose and the ultimate deliverance of his people. And the lesson we learn is this. God's providence is always at work in our lives in the good and even in the bad. Though things look dark for the Jews in the Persian Empire, this is indeed God's hand of providence still at work, working through even a bad situation to bring about his purpose. Years or decades ago, uh, I was in grad school in Dallas and I came back to Hawaii and I did my internship and we were having a great time. The youth group grew to the size of the congregation, youth staff there, We became best friends. Anyway, it's the best team that uh, I had ever worked with, and it was great. And when my internship was wrapping to an end that summer, the leadership of the church came and said, Hey, Pat, you know, you got a few years left at Dallas. Why don't you come on back and come on staff here at the church? And I said, Oh, you bet. You bet I'll do it. And so we were making our plans already to have that happen. Well, what I didn't know is that one of the deacons had gone up to the senior pastor and said, you know, we want you to share the pulpit with Pat. Well, of course, he wasn't going to have any part of that. And so, unknown to me, a smear campaign went on, and all kinds of accusations were being leveled against me. And uh, I got a call from one of the leaders saying, you know when the youth come to your youth group, do you physically beat the tar out of them? I said, no. I said, first of all, they're twice my size. Second of all, high school people... They're not that dumb. <laughs> if they're coming to youth group and they're getting, the, <laughs> they're getting the tar beat out of them, most of them know better than to come back, you know. <laughs> but they're coming back week after week and bringing their friends. Uh, and he goes, yeah, I thought, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. But anyway, these are the things being leveled against you. I thought, man, gosh, what is going on? And so I came back during my Christmas break and sat down. And apparently the leader got some of his men together and we sat down and they leveled serious charges on me. 
And I sat there in front of the deacons and I was defending myself saying this could not possibly be true because of this or this or this or this or this. All kinds of strange allegations. I, you know, I was trying to go out with a junior high girl or you know, this. I was beating up kids and, uh, you know. Finally, after a couple of hours, I said, you, you know what? I said, if you think I'm going to apply here, forget it. As I was leaving, the leader touched me on the shoulder and said, Pat, let's pray for you. And so they prayed for me. And then as I was leaving, he said, remember, don't ever come back here again. You know, I walked out. I told everyone on the youth staff and, and friends and other deacons, and they were really brokenhearted. We were all brokenhearted over the whole thing. And they still wanted me to apply. And I said, no. I said, I can't apply to somewhere like this. And I remember they were all there at the airport. We're all in tears as I got on the plane and must have shed tears all the way back, that six, seven-hour flight all the way back to Dallas. And I got back. I talked to my friends there at Dallas Seminary. I said, it's the deal. Oh, went to serve God. What did I do to deserve this? You know, you, you know the things I'm accused of? I didn't sign up for this. I came to serve God. And they, they encouraged me. They said, Pat, stay with it, man. God's got a plan. I said, God has a plan? This is part of God's plan? They said, Pat, uh, God's in control, man. He'll, he'll work it out. You know, God? God is going to work this? You know, how, how are we going to ever overcome this stuff? Oh, man. Well, I went back to school, graduated, and got hired immediately by a church there in Dallas. Didn't even have to send a resume out. They knew about me, my work. They hired me, and I served as a youth pastor there for eight wonderful years. Had a great time out there. Got involved in the ministry I'm involved in today, Pro Ministries. And, you know, I'm not here to brag or anything, but God just kept opening doors after door. Now, got a nationally syndicated radio show. Worked with a great team international show now involved in speaking and teaching and preaching all over the world all of that and I remember coming back maybe five six years ago and I was visiting an old friend from that old church and I was in her shop and she said Pat hey come over take a look at this and she opened up a folder about that thick and she said here's all your support letters that we have kept for the last 15 years they're all right here and she looked at me and she said you know Pat we we're so sad to see you go 15 years ago, but you know what? That's the way it had to be. I said, what do you mean? She goes, man, it was a heartache for all of us, but uh, God had a plan after all. If you did not go back to the mainland, you would have not finished your school. You would have not gotten to study under the great men you have gotten to study with. Dr. Norm Geisler, Ron Rhodes, Gary Habermas, all said you would have never gotten to know these men. You would have never gotten to uh, write books with them and learn from them. You would have never met the supporters who support you now. You would have never hooked up with the different ministries. You would not be speaking around the world as you do now. You wouldn't have run into your radio team. None of that would have happened had you stayed here at our small little church here in Hawaii. 20 years later, now you're back with a wonderful ministry, but it would have never happened had you remained here. And she said, God worked through it all somehow, didn't he? And I thought about it, and incredible wisdom from that woman. I said, yeah, you're right. You're right. Even through that tragedy, God's hand of providence continued to work. And so God's providence is always at work in our lives, even in the good and even in the bad. Understanding his providence gives us hope, knowing God continues to work in our lives. He's not finished yet, and he's not ignoring us. He continues to work. Perhaps things have taken a turn in your life for the worse. Do not despair. God is still at work. That's why we can continue to follow him, to persevere and press on, and continue to seek him 
even in the face of great difficulty, because his providence is always at work and he'll see us through. You know, there were times in my life, just recently, when I wanted to quit, but deep down, I knew the story of Esther. I knew that God was continuing to work and I needed to press on. So with the help of God's word, God's people, God's Holy Spirit, I pressed on and to this day, I can tell you, okay, I've seen the faithfulness of the hand of God continue to work in my life. Things may not go as we plan or as we wish, but remember, you know, it's not about what we want. God is not in the business of serving us. We don't follow God for the things we get from him. It's about his plans and doing his will. And his providence continues to work in our life, even in ways we don't see, even through tragedy and difficult times to bring about his purpose in our lives, which according to Romans 8, it's always for our good and for his glory. Even though God is in control then, does not mean things will always be easy. Often obeying God comes at a cost. But understanding God's providence gives us the courage to obey and follow Him, no matter what that cost may be. We pick up the story here in chapter 4 and 5. And here we learn of the plight of the Jewish people. And this is the climax of the story. In chapter 4, Mordecai learns of the plot. And he goes to Esther and he says, we're doomed. You need to go before the king and plead our case. And Esther is fearful of going because she knows that you cannot just go into the presence of the king without being summoned. If you do, that's death. And she says here in verse 11, All the king's servants and people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And Mordecai replies in verse 13. Mordecai said, send this reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther is fearful of going in front of the king. She says, you just can't go in front of him. That's death, unless he presents his scepter. Mordecai replies in verse 14, perhaps you have been appointed this position for such a time as this. Mordecai recognizes that perhaps there's a reason she was exalted to being a queen. Perhaps we are beginning to understand the providence of God's hand now. And she says, all right, verse 15, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink three days or nights. And I and my young women will also fast. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther ordered him. Understanding the providence of God gives us the courage to obey, even when it's very difficult, even when things don't seem to make sense. Now in chapter 5 then, she goes before the king and indeed the king lowers his golden scepter and her life is spared. And the king says, all right, what is it that you want? In verse 6 of chapter 5, he says, I'll even give you up to half my kingdom. Then Esther answered, my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. 
So Haman went out joyful and told his wife, hey, guess what? You know, the queen is holding a banquet and she only invited two people to come, me and the king. So he is on seventh heaven. And in verse 13, he says, yet this is all worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows 50 cubits high, that's 75 feet, seven stories be made. And in the morning, tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. And the idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Now Haman is happy because he alone of all the officials is invited and he builds a gallows 75 feet high, and there he's going to impale Mordecai upon those gallows. Despite the bleak-looking situation, God is working, setting the stage for his plans to be accomplished. But in order to do so, it required Esther to have the courage to obey and go before the king. And understanding providence, then, should give us the courage to obey even in difficult times. You know, years ago, after I graduated from college, I was looking for a job to make money before I went off to grad school there in Dallas. And there was a job that seemed the perfect match. It was at the YMCA. And there I was going to be in charge of the afternoon program. And what more could a guy want? You know, I'd be working with kids after school, teaching them all the sports, baseball, football, basketball, weightlifting. Be working with elementary through high school, something that I, I would have just loved. And I went in for the interview and, you know, the guy said, wow, you know, he said, I think you're the kind of person we're looking for. You know, I teach uh, karate. And at night, I have access to all the facilities, weightlifting, the spa, the pool. Man, what, what more could I have wanted? And so the guy said, man, we like it. Come in, come in, you know, the next day and I'll give you, you can meet the staff. So I went in the next day to meet with the staff. When I met with the staff, I realized I was the only guy that was going to be working there. Everyone else were young, single women. I thought, wow, hey, all right, you know. <laughs> but as I began to meet the staff, you know, they're good-looking, athletic women who, and a bunch of them I knew. None of them were believers in the Lord. And, you know, when I was done meeting with them, they're like, hey, Pat, after let's go out. You know, we'll go party. We'll drink down at, the, what was that, Rumors or whatever it was called back then. When I went home, I thought about it, and I had no peace about it as I began to pray. Perhaps I might get involved with one of these women. Maybe not. Who knows? But being around this crowd, is it healthy for a young single guy just walking with the Lord and all that? And I began to think about it and pray. And I just had no peace. And I felt God was telling me, don't take this job. And the reasons were very good. And so I called the boss the next day and I said, you know what? Um, I can't take the job. And he thought I was nuts. He was like, what? Think about it. You know, I'll give you a couple days to rethink it. And I said, well, maybe I don't need a couple days. I, you know, I, I just can't take the job. He was like, why? And I just said, finally told him, I said, well, I prayed about it. And I just don't feel this, at peace with God. So I hung up and, and uh, they gave the job to someone else. Well, the next week I began applying for different jobs and I couldn't get any jobs. You know, I even applied to deliver kimchi. <laughs> and the guy turned me down. He said, you're not qualified. <laughs> I had a bachelor. He turned me and so I began thinking, gosh, did I make a mistake? Man, did I just blow the deal here? You know, I, mean, I remember began thinking about it and praying about it. And, and I remember saying, God, I'm following you. One of the toughest decisions of my life, but turned it down to obey you. What's the deal, God? Come on, you know. A few days later, a friend called me. He was a DJ at a radio station. And he said, Pat, come on in. I'd like you to apply for this opening we've got on the graveyard shift as a DJ. And I said, well, I don't have any experience in audio or any technical work, never been a DJ, uh, and he goes, hey, get in here, just give it a try. I said, oh man, you know, I don't know. Uh. Finally, he got mad, he said, Pat, can you read a clock? 
I said, yeah, I can read a clock. He goes, you're hired. Get your butt in here. <laughs> so I said, all right. So I went in there, applied for the job, and I got the job. Great time there at K-Light Radio. That's over 20 years ago. And what I thought was simply coincidence turned out to be the hand of God. Because 20 years later, here I am once again with Daryl and the staff working side by side once again. Had I taken that job at the YMCA, you know, who knows what would have happened. But I would have never got the job at K-Light. Would have never worked with Daryl and George over here and several others. Never met the great staff. Probably wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing. Understanding the providence of God then gives us courage to obey, even in difficult times. You in a tough marriage? If there are no biblical grounds for divorce, then hang in there. God is working. Persevere. Your boss asking you to compromise on the job? Remain faithful to God and His Word. God is continuing to work in your life. He calls us to faithfulness. Let Him take care of the rest. You single people, you're dating someone you shouldn't be? He or she not a believer, bringing you down? Trust God. He's got that right person in store for you. Understanding God's providence should give us courage to obey Him and follow Him, even if it looks difficult, even if it doesn't make sense. That's what Esther did. Now we come to the twist. Chapter 6, verse 1. So Esther throws a banquet. Haman and the king come, and they say, well, what's your request? And she says, well, come back tomorrow, and I'll tell you tomorrow. Well, that night the king goes to bed, and in verse 1 it says, on that night the king could not sleep. Well, just by coincidence now, the king can't sleep. He's got insomnia, and he's staying up all night. Just by coincidence now, he gives orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai, the Jew, had told the king about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on the king. And the king said, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And so, just so happens by coincidence now, the king is, can't sleep that night. He might be wondering, hey, you know, what does Esther want that she's calling me back for a second banquet? And for some reason, Esther, at the first dinner, doesn't reveal her request. I guess she didn't think uh, it was the right time to reveal her request. But the king can't sleep that night, so it just so happens, by coincidence, that he calls for this book of Chronicles to be read, and it just so happens, by coincidence, he's reading, he's reading about Mordecai, how Mordecai five years ago saved his life, and he hasn't done anything for Mordecai. And so the king is pondering there in verse 3, what should I do to honor this man? Nothing has been done for him. And as he's thinking about it, just by coincidence, guess who comes walking into the king's court? Verse 4, king said, who is in the court? And it was Haman. Haman enters the court. And Haman, ironically, is there to talk to the king about hanging Mordecai on that 75-foot pole. Well, the king says, well, bring, bring the man in. So Haman comes in, and the king asks him in verse 6, what should be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman thinking, well, who else would the king want to honor than me? And so Haman says, well, this is what you do for the man the king honors. Give him the royal robes which the king has worn and the horse the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city proclaiming before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And so the king says, very good, hurry, take the robes and the horse and everything you have said and do so for Mordecai the Jew. And so here's Haman now, he's got to parade Mordecai around the city proclaiming and exalting his enemy Mordecai. 
And then we discover that he runs back home, tells his wife, and his wife says, Oh no, you're doomed. And right away, he is rushed to the banquet with Queen Esther. Haman doesn't know that the king has just read about Mordecai and the great things Mordecai had done. And he doesn't know that Esther is the niece of Mordecai. So the king gets before Esther and says, All right, what is it you want? And the queen answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, we're in verse 3 here, if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. And the king is very upset. And he, say, and he says, All right, who is this man? Who is this man? Who is this person seeking to destroy my wife and her people? And she tells, It is Haman. She says, The foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman terrified before the king and the queen. And the king is so upset, he walks out into the courtyard. Well, Haman now knows he's going to get it. So in verse 7, back then, uh, they reclined on the couches as they ate. So Esther is obviously lying, reclining on the couch, and Haman here is going to plead for his life, so he, he, he's going to fall on his knees before the queen, and apparently he falls down, and he falls right on top of her. And just at that moment, by coincidence, guess who walks in? The king! He says, he's going to assault the queen, even in my own house? And so they grab Haman, and they drag him outside. And then the guard says, you know what? He built a 75-foot gallows for uh, Mordecai the Jew, the man that saved your life. Why don't you impale him on that? And so they end up impaling Haman on that 75-foot pole. And the lesson we learn is that God's providence uses even the ungodly. There have been novels out like the Da Vinci Code, seeking to destroy Christianity and the gospel, and it has failed. And in fact, that Da Vinci Code, that novel, opened the door for people like me, gave me the greatest opportunity to share the gospel all over the world. Mao Zedong in China killed over 30 million people in an attempt to destroy the church and religion from China. Today, the biggest churches in the world are in China. Over a hundred million believers in the house church movement alone. Those who seek to thwart God's plans will always fail. And God uses even the ungodly to bring about his purpose. So don't envy or fear the wicked or envy the things that they're doing or the temporary prosperity they may be gaining. God even uses them to bring about his purposes. And the story, we see the conclusion in chapters 8 through 10 here. Since the decree of the king cannot be reversed, he pumps out a second decree, and he allows all the Jews to arm and protect themselves from their enemies. And so they do. And when the enemies come upon the Jews, the Jews defend themselves, and they wipe out their enemies from throughout the Persian Empire. We see in chapter 9, verse 16, And now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. And so the Jews won a fantastic victory that day. And the lesson we learn here, we find in verse 20, And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day year by year. 
as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. And so Mordecai calls for a national holiday here, the Feast of Purim, that's continued to be celebrated this day. And the lesson we learn is that God's providence demands our remembrance. It's important for the people of God to remember the hand of God as it works throughout their life. Not only for the Jews as a nation, but as believers, as individuals, you and I need to remember and commemorate the providence of God working in our lives. One of the best ways to do that is to keep a journal, a record of your life story with God and how His providence and His hand continue to work throughout your life. Because sometimes you don't know it's the providence of God until you turn around and you look backwards. And keeping a great journal is going to help you do that. And when you see the providence in your life, share it with others that all may be encouraged. Esther teaches us an important lesson that in life there is no coincidence, there's only providence. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's no accident that you are here. It's not a coincidence to hear uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And now a decision is there for you to make. May that encourage you this day and always. Thank you for spending time with us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. And by the way, if you missed part of this program or you would like to send it to some friends or family, it's available right now for download at evidenceandanswers.org. Go there and browse audio, articles, and other resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. And if we've been a blessing to you or given you some good information, please consider supporting us financially. Pat raises his own support for Evidence and Answers, and we so appreciate whatever gift you can give. You'll help keep us on the air and online with some really good news and the evidence to back it up. Just click the Donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. We would be so encouraged to hear from you today. We appreciate it. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.